Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandevan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. Hello, hello, hello out there in podcast land. This is the voice of Adam. And with me today is also the other voice of this podcast, Tim Vandevan. No, I am definitely not here today. Okay, I'm here today. I, I'm yeah, I'm here. All right, fine. I'm not fine. Tim. I am Clatu. Clatu. <laughs> I am Clatu. Uh, you know, yes, exactly. I am Clatu, and I will sing about the Sub Rosa subway. Okay, kids, look, look it up. It's a good song. Look it up. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's hotter than what's, what's, what's the expression that all the kids are using today? I don't know. Anyways, it's, it's very, very warm over here. It's muggy. Uh, I see that you guys might've gotten rain for the first time in two months. Dude, Uh, almost three months. Actually, we've, it's been about 80 days with like, not just little, a very little precipitation, zero precipitation. It had like, my grass has never looked so brown. Uh, nice. than it has right now. Um, yeah, it's, and you uh, live in a, you live in a tropical rainforest. How does that happen, man? I, you know? Yeah. Well, Hey, it happens because of climate change. Uh Oh, <laughs> and there go half yeah. of our listeners right now. <laughs> yeah. All, 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 both of the people on our list that don't vaccinate and, you know, think Jesus is white. They're all on their way out right now. That's it. Those those <laughs> libtards. That's it. I've had it. They said love each other in one episode, and they they said nice things about people. That's it. I'm done. And yeah, well, so. and this is the thing. In the 19 episodes prior, they hadn't figured out that we're libtards yet. Like, oh, I know, right? What's wrong All with right, you? Right. Like. Fuck. If Adam and I were in the same room doing this podcast, we're such libtards, we'd be hugging throughout the entire episode. That's what would be happening. <laughs> oh, there'd be more than hugging. Oh, yeah. There'd be trees that we'd be we'd be hugging and be like, mm-hmm. oh, let's talk about stuff. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing uh, turns we're... me on more than the welfare state. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cradle to grave makes me horny. Oh, so. man. <laughs> Wow. Uh, well, okay. That took a that took a really decidedly left turn. So, all right. So <laughs> we we, got, we we're so left. We're right again. Uh, <laughs> mm. I think we just did a perfect circle. You know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. So yeah. Um, actually, I, I think I I kind of just mentioned this. This is I think officially our twentieth episode. My goodness, we got that far. Where nice. I know. <laughs> I didn't expect us to go past five. This is impressive. I know. <laughs> we clearly wow. have a lot of time on our hands. Yeah, clearly stick to itiveness, and and we don't listen. Apparently, you know the. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I'm excited. Twenty. Wow. I Twenty. Know, that's pretty good. Twenty hey? episodes. Congratulations, Tim. Oh, why? Thank you, Adam. I couldn't have done it without you. Well, really. <laughs> right back at you, buddy. Congratulations to you too, my friend. So I think. Something that we have discussed, you and I, and we've discussed at length a band, the first band that we met each other in, I in, know. I want to say 98, 
I think that's when I first met you. You had been bumping around with Gareth and some boys at that time. Yeah, well, actually, even then, like, I think I, I essentially met you and Gareth at, well, yeah, almost the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and that was with, as our listener might know, with our band North Star Jack out of Toronto. The one, the only, never, often imitated, never duplicated, North Star Jack. Yes. Yeah. And damn it, we got ripped off so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Good times. But it was interesting because uh, I know I have recently actually kind of got back into, I don't know, as you do when you get old, you start rifling through. Mm-hmm. You know, all the all the old nostalgia. I know, man. <laughs> I know. Work. I've been talking with a friend of mine, Paul Casey, lately, and he's uh, he, he actually went through a lot of the stuff because I always give him our discs or whatever disc I'm on here, have a copy of the latest and greatest thing that Tim's been part of. And he's done the same thing recently where he went through what he called. He calls me Bosch as a nickname. So he called it the box of Bosch that he would just <laughs> went through and listened to all of these discs. And North Star Jack was in there. And uh, we, you know, we I was talking. He came to see us a couple of times at Clinton's, I think, in Toronto. And yeah, uh, you know, just reminiscing and stuff. And it's uh, there was there was some good music that was being done at that time. And. We we had fun and it was it was a great band for us to cut our teeth on. Just well, I mean, cut our teeth on. We'd all been in a million bands before that. You had you had tasted success with Biff Naked and with uh, with Acid Test previously. Just a kiss, a kiss of success. <laughs> just just a wee peck on the cheek. Just a hmm. There you go. I want more. And and then the success said, nah. <laughs> as they say, as they so. say in French culinary school, an amuse bouche. An amused bouche, yes. My my bouche was very amused. So <laughs> yeah, everyone thought it was yeah. hilarious, and we're like, yeah, that's never gonna fly, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, but know. one of the things, one of the great things that came out of well, we've you and I have had an enduring friendship, which is something I treasure. Um, with uh, one of the great things that came out of that was meeting this this guitar player Rob that was in NSJ that had a very yeah. decidedly different style. You know, because, okay, the guitar cliche is the guitarist comes in, he sets his amp to five, says he can't hear it, turns it to 10. Now you can't hear anything. But then he says he still can't hear himself. And that's usually the guitar player, you know. Nine times out of 10. Yeah, that is the guitar player. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and Gareth Gareth came in because Gareth was the, the songwriter and Gareth had these songs kind of up and running already. Like the arrangements were there. It was just like, okay, so how are we going to orchestrate these songs? You know, drums go here and, you know, bass goes there and keyboards go there, but, you know, backing vocals go here. And then Rob stepped in and sort of, it was always something that Gareth had said about Rob that I loved, which was, Rob is sort of like the guitar player that's almost a keyboard player. There's almost a bridge between his six-string electric guitar and the keypads that you were playing. Yeah. At the time, you know, it wasn't just like, I'm going to come in, because Gareth is strumming an acoustic, well, an electric guitar, sorry, not an acoustic, but is strumming an electric guitar. To, here's the, here are the chords, you know, the E, A, C, whatever, right? Rob is filling space, but not in a like a you know, not that that kind of space filling. But he's it's almost like Rob was playing pads, but not the same pads that you played. Yeah. You know? No, he he you could you could tell actually, and this was I, I do just sort of distinctly remember this because actually both these bands were kind of ascendant. 
um, almost from the get-go that Rob was very clearly a Blur fan. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know Rob's probably listening right now, and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, <laughs> and a Radiohead fan. Um, you know, and it's it's yeah. not like neither of those bands have guitar players that, you know, don't turn it up. And, you know, if you've ever heard Radiohead's Creep, I mean, they tried to sabotage that song by turning up the guitar so loud that it was just obnoxious. But... Um, both guitar players like well john you know like johnny greenwood for example that their whole thing actually was more like i don't want to say cinematic but it was more about layering the guitars in a way mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily traditional rock sometimes yeah. that you you could you Textures. could do rock yeah you could have texture and you don't always have to do you know they they could do the power chords and the really neat riffs you know actually i remember having a conversation with rob about the song There's No Other Way by Blur. You know, there's no mm. other way, there's no other way. You, you know, hearing that London accent <laughs> coming through the, you know, oh, yeah. Damon oh, Albert. Yeah. But, uh, you know, him him basically, you know, I was like, oh, this is, you know, like it seems like such a an easy and happy little riff. And he was like, dude, trust me, I've, tr- I've tried to play it. It's actually really hard to play. He said, I think yeah. he even said out of any Blur song, that riff is extremely hard to do because uh, Graham Coxon, a guitar player for Blur, is just kind of like all over the place and doing this crazy sort of slidey chord things. Like, it's complex, but he's not mm-hmm. doing anything super crunchy. Uh, I mean, it's pretty rocky. It's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry, going going back to it, I guess, again, it's... It, you know, that whole sort of period of like, I guess, like the late 90s coming out of grunge, I think guitar players really wanted to go mm-hmm. try different areas a little bit and spread out. And, and you know, Rob is a guy who I think, you know, latched onto that. And, you know, very clearly, I think, you know, just having recently listened to the two NSJ records we did, you, you, you definitely get that, you know, that you know yeah. he he's working to sort of layer things more and to and and not go to 10 <laughs> sometimes we had to tell that guy to turn it up actually <laughs> <But>. <laughs> yeah cuz the stupid drummer's playing too loud what the hell man what's exactly. that guy all about drummers in the keyboard players fucking making Lousy noise god drummers damn it. i know <laughs> i know but the, i remember like we had a lot of comparisons when i was in the band uh to oasis because oasis was mm. a big band that gareth loved oasis he also quite liked Radiohead as well but there you know if Rob had gone the hard you know kind of kind of way that edge we would have definitely been compared to Oasis people would have mm-hmm. said oh you guys are just like a Canadian Oasis which would have been like all right time to break up the band because we're not gonna <laughs> you know, we're not gonna go anywhere with that right but Rob's textures and sounds that he created because I remember watching him a couple of shows like I remember the first show I played with you guys the 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 infamous show where the original drummer uh, actually said the night before to Gareth, oh, I don't think I'll make it to the show tomorrow night. Uh, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the hilarious phone call from Gareth, I'm sitting at my my apartment because I lived in Toronto then. I'm sitting in my apartment and Gareth calls me up and says, hey, man, we got this show tomorrow night. I'm like, yeah, man, looking forward to it. I'm going to be there, you know, I'm going to maybe throw underwear at the stage, you know, I might even <laughs> wash them first. It'll be great. You know, and he's like, yeah, but do you want a really, really good seat at the show? And I was like, it's the Cameron House. There isn't a bad seat, you know, (laughs) holds 40 people. 
unless you're the sound guy and a really tall guy sits in front of you. You know, that's it. There's no bad seats. And then he says, well, would you like a seat on stage? I'm like, all right, what are you asking me? He's like, we need you to play the show tomorrow night. Jim's bailed. I'm like, all right, no problem. I said, okay, I don't really know the stuff, but yeah, I'll be prepared. And he's like, uh, actually, Adam and I are in my car right now, and we're coming to get you. <laughs> we're going to go to rehearsal. The other two guys are waiting for us. And I was just like, oh, all right. And the funny story was this was where you were, where North Star Jack used to rehearse. was yes. a place where I rehearsed with another singer as well at that time. And I kept hearing you guys. Like, I'd walk past your, your, your locale, and I'd walk past, and I'd be like, that's a cool band. And I, it's like, I knew, I already knew Gareth. I'd known Gareth for years before that, but I'd, I'd always thought like, Oh, just, you know, all you got to do is wait for the drummer to, to die. You know, that's what usually <laughs> happens with drummers. Right. So it's like, or get out or get fired or, you know, he knocks up the singer's girlfriend and he gets fired and all that stuff. Spontaneously but, combust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Spontaneously <laughs> combust in a pool of his own excess. Yes. But I was like, Oh man, if only, but then it was like, I, I knew Jim as well. I'd met him through you guys. I was like, Jim's a cool dude. Jim's a great player. Yeah. I'm not going to get that gig. So I'll just, I'll just have to be a fan and cheer on Gareth from the sidelines. But, that's not how it ended up, but no. I remember I remember watching Rob at these shows and thinking, now that's an interesting guitar player because you don't know, guitar players show up with forty eight pedals and like I think thirty five of them are distortion pedals usually, right? Yeah, there's fuzz, there's buzz, there's yeah. there's fuzz, there's extra fuzz, there's dirty fuzz, there's clean fuzz, there's, there's metal, fuzz face, there's fuzz butt, yeah, there's yeah. yeah, there's metal edge, there's razor face. Uh, it's just like on and on and on. And Rob had this array of pedals, but he would he would strum chords or open open notes, and then get down on his knees and start mess, messing about with his pedals. Yeah, he'd go all Johnny Greenwood on that shit. Johnny Greenwood yeah. from Radiohead, same thing, where he just was like, no, no, yeah. like the pedal itself is also an instrument. <laughs> and it was yeah. I like, thought that was super cool, you know. And it was like I'd only ever seen that once before. Not a, not. You know, in a, in a bar band because that's what we were. Yeah, but I've only seen that once before in a bar band. Um, a few years. No, I hadn't seen. What am I talking about? The next time I saw that was a few years later when I was living in Montreal. Yeah, it became a thing later on. The, this guy's ripping off Rob. You know, so I actually hadn't. I'd never seen that before, and I thought it was super cool that he's like. Mm, and well, I think we should be clear too that one of the things that that I've seen guitar players often do too when they do that is oftentimes they're 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 kind of trying to cover up for something. You know, mm. namely maybe that they can't really play very well, and I think it, you know definitely Rob can play. Uh, oh, t- for sure. You know, like I think that was the thing, and and oftentimes when Rob would play straight, less less atmospheric mm. and more like you know guitar band kind of thing. It's always yeah. very tasteful, clean, just the right amount of distortion. You know, kind of like a good beer. It just went down so well, and it was. And it exactly. was always done well. So his, mm-hmm. he was never sort of just jumping on the pedals because he was like, I'm, I'm sucking and I'm shy and I'm just going to like, you know, make weird space noises with my fingers. And no, but nobody can see the tears from down here. <laughs> yeah, nobody, yeah. nobody can see him cry <laughs> when I'm on the, behind the monitor. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. No. no. And I think that's important. That's important with that style of guitar. And I, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. you know, why, why Johnny Greenwood is, you know, sort of highly revered, you know, in Radiohead. And it's, it, I think that Rob was, Rob, Rob can channel that. Right. So mm-hmm. um, they, it, they were intentional moves. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're intentional. He was he, like you said, he wasn't doing it because it's like, oh shit, that that's that's a minor chord. Let me go down on my pedals and pretend like I meant to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it was it was intentional. He was sculpting something. And we so. worked re- I remember specific like I know with with me because you know like again i'm doing like like more key i'm i'm the keyboard player so i do more keyboardy things um mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. oftentimes we in north star jack we'd have discussions about like you know how we were gonna kind of layer things and you know it was always sort of like a nod of the hat you know like oh hey i like how that works with my juno pad mm-hmm. or something or you know i like how this yeah. works this way we, you know both of us are sort of we're working in sort of the similar frequency range so it was always yeah. sort of like more about how do we make this delicious layer cake of sound yeah. as opposed to, you know, oh, Adam's just going to hold down, you know, the organ line and I'm just going to do flaming solos for six minutes. And um, yeah. actually, I think even the idea of solo probably gives Rob a little bit of a rash. sorry rob i mean you know like it's not that he couldn't do solo i think it's just it's sort of like yeah that's been done like yeah you know oh you want me to you want me to do that i don't know man (laughs) why do you hate music don't make me do that yeah Yeah. do do you want to destroy (laughs) this song like that doesn't make any sense like fuck off <laughs> so. I thought it was great though. It was almost like he was bridging. So Gareth is playing strummy, strummy singer songwritery type stuff on the yeah. guitar, right? And then he's sort of bridging what Gareth is doing with what you are doing. Yeah. So it's it's it sounds more fleshed out. It sounds more orchestrated. It sounds more intentional, as opposed to just singer songwriter jing jicka jing jicka jing jicka jing jicka. And the other guitar goes, man, 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 man. You know, like it's just like it, it was more intentional what he was doing. It, it it I thought it added depth. And like I said earlier, the the comparisons to Oasis were there because good pop songs, sort of a Brit attitude, that kind of thing. But then. Rob is making sure that nobody thinks we're just, you know, Oasis Redux, you know, yeah. with 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 fewer fisticuffs on stage, you know. So, yeah, I think I think, you know, we 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 ha- we wore our influences on our sleeve. Like, you know, funnily enough, I, I mentioned this, but, I, oh, you know, course. I've been recent listening to these the CDs for those young kids out there. It's those those silvery discs that you used to listen to music to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to the, the CDs that I've had in my drawer for like the last 15 years or whatever. And uh, because we actually, we came out with two albums. Uh, one, first, we came out with an EP called Demogog, uh, which I think came out in like uh, 2000. And then about a year later, we did another record called uh, Pretty Pollution. And there's, within that one year time frame, there's, things are different on both mm-hmm. records. Um, you know, for starters, I know North Star Jack's EP, the Demagogue EP. Um, we we recorded that at like three different studios. Yeah, in the night like in 99, I've got the disc in my hand actually. I dug out the shiny thing that the yeah. kids don't know what they are these days. <laughs> the the drink coasters, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the things you you know, the thing that your old man used to hang from the rearview mirror because it looked cool and scared the birds away. <laughs> yeah, you hang it around corn to keep the birds away from the corn, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's they're very they're very different records and we actually had a a producer and I actually I came in about halfway through the demagogue recordings and uh, we'd been recording i think at a place called lydian sound number nine stu- number nine studios and puck and puck's farm and puck's, and puck's farm. farm 
the 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 farm yeah. up in like I think it's in Co- you know Coburg uh, uh, Kleinberg or something Ontario, and it's mm-hmm. totally a farm with little piglet races with this studio that you'd never even knew was there. <laughs> um, nice, but uh, the first one kind of wound up being a bit of I think a bit of a hodgepodge in some ways, you know, because like you were saying, I think you know the original intention of the album was to sort of. And I think that the producer we had was kind of leaning this way a little bit where it's sort of a little bit more folk rocky mm-hmm. uh, of a sound. And then I, you know, I'm not saying this is my fault. Maybe it is. But then, you know, I got introduced to the band and everyone was like, oh, keyboards. Yeah. Oh, and he's got analog synthy keyboards. Maybe we could do that instead. So, uh, yeah, I think that I might have annoyed the producer in that respect at least in terms of his ambitions for making a folk album uh folk rock record um but well to be to be honest and i mean i remember gareth having some of these songs a couple of years earlier when he when we both lived up in quebec in hall yes and he had some of these and they when you play them on acoustic guitar you play them on just a you know a clean electric they could be interpreted by a producer as folky you know mm-hmm. and that's yeah. you know this goes back to our meat grinder episode the last one where you know you're not looking at it like oh okay this is James Taylor part 2 you know right. this is no you're looking at it like this is a mix of of Oasis and Radiohead and James Taylor and you squash it all together and you run it and you make a sausage out of that, you know? Sometimes it works. So, sometimes it doesn't. I you know, like it's funny actually. I think on Demagogue, I, I actually think the opening track is really good, concede. Again, this is all hindsight, right? Um right. I oddly enough, so I think actually the best track is the fourth one, which is this song called Oblivion. Uh, which yeah. we never actually recorded in a studio. Uh, this is actually, a, I think it's a live recording. At, yeah, live at Clinton's in yeah, 1999. In o- <laughs> October 99, yep. Um, yeah. And that, I think, you can sort of hear, I think, maybe where the direction of the band was kind of going, and I think that's maybe why we decided to put it on. I think. Not form you smoke Some of it, too, I think, was that uh, the, the original drummer we'd spoke of, Jim, because when I subbed for that show, I just subbed for that show. Yeah. You know, and then Jim continued on with you guys for a few more months. And then by the time Jim backed out, some of the stuff was already done in the studio because I had gone to Jason Steidman's studio with you guys because Gareth had said, had, Gareth's idea at one point was two drummers in the band, you know? Yeah. And I remember Jason, a.k.a. Peach, joking because at the time i pushed a little bit when i would play i would i would play in time but i would nudge you know yeah sort of Stuart copelandy and jim would sit back so jason (laughs) i remember jason joking about how you know get these two guys playing and jim's behind the beat and tim's slightly ahead and then i guess i'll play the bass right in between them you know so Yeah. There was the talk about the two drummers for about five minutes. I was in the studio with you guys at Jason's studio <laughs> at one point, played a couple tracks that never got on the album. 
Uh, Disco Fred being one of them. Uh, yeah. Gareth, Disco Fred. We need to do Disco Fred, Gareth Carr. Every time you say that, that song pops into my head. And that's why we should do it, because our listeners should hear it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because no one has and, except uh, for us. So That's it. Well, and, and again, that song's an old one of Gareth's. It goes way back. But uh, the thing was, is that uh, once Jim had left, the stuff was up and ready. And you can't be like, oh, man, we just dropped like whatever, six grand in the studio to record this. We don't really want to go back in and have the drummer retrack everything. Like, why would we do that? Right. And so the three songs ended up on Demagogue. And those are the ones that, that, that came out of the sessions that worked the best. And then I think at some point there was a discussion that, they wanted to have something with me on it. And Rob, Rob, good old Rob, <laughs> <coughs> pardon me, had somehow brought out his, and kids look this up too, uh, his four-track cassette recorder. And he had put two PZM mics, which we have talked about on this show. He yes. put two PZM mics up in Clinton's and took a stereo feed off the board and recorded four tracks. And I remember there were only four songs recorded that night. And... That because the tape ran out because it was like that's all you could do the tape I think because uh, it was probably a four track like the one I have that that runs quicker than average tape speed mm-hmm. which the idea being that it gets rid of noise so that you don't have the tape hiss you don't have tape noise if you're running at double speed but you put in your sixty minute tape which is thirty aside and now you're down to fifteen minutes so you know there goes four songs boom and that's it so. But there was one song that was pulled off there, which was Oblivion, which I thought was really cool because, you know, pre I wasn't using a click. I, I didn't use headphones, didn't have, I had monitors, yeah. but I had to follow your... Yeah, so yeah, basically on stage, one of the keyboards that I was using in the band was my trusty old Roland Juno 6 from like 1981. And um, <laughs> I still have the NSJ sticker on the back of it, actually. But um, sweet, it uh, it the like like the Juno series. They it had a built-in arpeggiator, but uh, at the time uh, the arpeggiator didn't have a clock. You didn't you didn't you couldn't set a specific tempo. You couldn't say you know, playing mm. at 120 BPM. <laughs> um, you know, I just had to kind of eyeball it with this little slider thing. Right. So uh, actually mm. I think you can even hear at the beginning of, of the, of the song, uh, me mm. fiddling with sort of the tempo of that. Cause yeah, there's no, it doesn't, it doesn't go by BPM. It just is sort of like, I'm going to go this fast or this slow, depending on where the knob sits. And hopefully your drummer can follow along. And, uh, but that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the good thing actually about that recording. Uh, I, I was actually really kind of surprised. You know, when you, you listen back and you're like, wow, you're actually pretty fucking tight actually because uh, oh my god it worked it totally worked uh, I don't think you you miss that at all and it and the nice thing actually about the Juno arpeggiator is that like you know I can actually like sort of re-trigger it every time I hit a new note on the keyboard so I can mm-hmm. also kind of follow you a little bit so we're both I think kind of doing we learned to do a bit of push and pull with each other on that where oh, yeah. like it was easy it was easy if like you know if if you know things did slightly slip out of joint live it was easy to go back to where we were i did we didn't have to like stop the tape and rewind or anything <laughs> like i could just hit a new <laughs> note and it would work um but um 
yeah, you can sort of hear us, you know, fiddling with the tempo at the beginning and just sort of getting things to move and kind of sit right there. Um, and then it just kind of thunders through, man. And yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, actually, that's a really good example of, I think, you know, uh, how good Rob uh, had his live tone set up. Mm-hmm. The, oh, man, like when the chorus kicks in and he hits that big, beautiful rock chord, mm-hmm. it's it it's great and gareth is on point there like i think actually we're all pretty on point in that recording i'm super impressed with that so that was a, it was a very it was a very friendly venue to us as well i mean mm. we had fletch on the board who liked us a lot and we uh we always felt at home at clinton's and we could get in and you know pretty much pack the room and just have a night and everybody's happy and we usually had like I think that night too. I don't even think we were the headlining band. I think we opened up for uh, Ultra Low Freak. Ultra night, Low I Freak. Think. I think I still have their T-shirt somewhere, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that night too. That was sort of like that was really kind of a coming out because we had done a. I think I'd done the one show with you guys before when I was, you know, I was the pinch hitter, and then that show was the first official. Hey, you know let's meet Ringo for the first time, everybody, yeah. you know? So it was, uh, it was that, but the thing about oblivion that's super cool is the big breakdown in the middle mm-hmm. where you and Rob just start sculpting tones. We get spacey and with kid, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and kids, if you pay attention, you will hear some electronic drums in the middle of that much to the chagrin of Gareth at the time, <laughs> because I had just gotten the synsonics and I was striking them, making sounds with them within that, that that uh like you guys were sculpting this like this sort of this vibe this wave you know yeah. of of sound and tone it was almost like you know at some point somebody was going to be able to taste the rainbow because of the colors <laughs> that you guys were creating you know we i one thing i did notice about listening to both these albums is that we were kind of the big fans of the dropout the the drop the beat oh like yeah just drop everything yeah. and go spacey in the middle like that's kind of how we like. There's a song called "Lo-Fi" on Old Vibes on Demagogue where we do that. Um, Peter, mm-hmm. P, it happens in Peter Pan, of which actually there are two different versions. Uh, one on the Demagogue EP, but then we did a totally different version of that song on the Pretty Pollution CD. Um, well, there's a third version too, actually, that was recorded that same night as Oblivion. But it was chosen not to use that because it's already on the record. Right. And Oblivion was a better performance. But I think there was a, a slight warble, wobble, weeble, fumble at some point in Peter Pan. I know Gareth had, he had the recordings of the four songs that we had from that show. And I remember yeah. him playing them to me in the car one day. And he was just like, wow, we sound so much different. We sound so, we sound better. You know, I love where where the direction where this band is going. There's a heavy but light feeling to it. You know, um, there's still the British sensibility, but at the same time, the the sculpting, Rob's Rob's sculpting on the guitar, yeah, which I think is the big thing. I mean, you could have ten keyboard players in a band that are doing keypads and stuff, and you know, and it sounds great and it works. It's pretty rare to have a guitar player who's thinking that way mm-hmm. that wants to work with the keyboard player and not say, uh, wait a minute, man, that's my solo. You're stepping on my solo keyboard, <laughs> you know, so clearly I think, you know, Gareth, for example, was maybe listening to quite a lot of wonder stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, definitely. Well, what's his name? Um, 
Robin Hitchcock. Robin Hitchcock. Thank you. Yeah, that you actually yeah. totally nailed exactly who I was trying to think of. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of very sort of uh, 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 passive aggressive tongue in cheek in all of mm. his lyrics. Yeah. The, the song Grease, we pretty much I think had always played from the beginning is is actually about the most horrible vacation I think he ever had. And it happened to be in Greece. Um, I don't know how you can have a bad vacation in Greece, but apparently Gareth did. And it's a very, the lyrics are actually kind of funny, it, you know, but also you definitely get a sense that he was really pissed off at the experience at the same time. Um, but it also turned into a great song. It was a great song. first world problems yeah right? so, exactly oh no i know that in the song he talked about how he wasn't crazy about because he, he said he wanted to go to greece and feel have an experience in greece and then you get there and he's like it's just nothing but tourists and i get that that's that would be like saying oh, yeah. i'm you know i've never been to the united states i want i want to get the vibe how is the vibe and you go to disney world and you're like, oh, okay, well, no, I don't like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like some people, lo- like Disney World is its own thing and you can love Disney World for what it is. But if you're trying to get the American experience, that's not where you go, you know? Yeah. So I think that where he went, he went to an island that's very, very British centric, that there are British pubs and people speak English yes. all, all over the place. And, you know, you're like, but I wanted to hear somebody. There's a whole Greece, line about that actually in the song. Yeah. Where he basically talks yeah. about all the Irish pubs in Greece. And then he's, yeah. he said like, uh, you know, uh, he looks at a brochure and, he, and it's like, it says, you'll have a view of the ruins. And his next line is, just show me where you can't. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a view of the ruins everywhere. Everywhere is a ruin. Exactly. So, well, I, I mean, it, it's it's like when I traveled to Old Orchard in Maine for the first time. And it's like six hours by car from where I live. And I get there and I hear an awful lot of French from where I'm from. And I'm like, uh, I thought I left Quebec. Yeah. And it's like, nope, you're in the you're in the States. They're flying the red, white, and blue and the stripes and the, the you know, and all that stuff and the stars and you can buy, you know, Jack Daniels in the in the in the grocery store. But every <laughs> second guy is somebody that's from some part of Quebec. And it's like I can understand that where you go that far to get to get to some place and you're like, I want to have an experience that isn't what I've already got at home. You know, like Again, if he's flying to Greece and he ends up in an Irish pub, can yeah. he do that in Toronto? You know? <laughs> well, so I get I get that. I get that in that song. And I think so. even like Greece, you know, Greece is sort of like 
like I was saying, it's one of the songs that I think we were playing pretty much from the get-go as a, as a group. Yeah. It was one of the earlier songs that Gareth, I think, had brought to the table, and it wound up on the second record. But definitely, I think with Pretty Pollution, um, because I I don't necessarily recall this as a negative experience, but I don't think that overall making the EP initially was... I don't think everyone was particularly happy with it. I think everyone wanted to wanted it to be something else. And so with Pretty Pollution, and, and I don't even think we knew what we wanted it to be, but it was just sort of like, yeah, this is kind of neat. It's got a bit of a charlatan's vibe. It's definitely kind of Brit poppy, you know, happening mm-hmm. there. But, you know, I think everyone was really happy with Oblivion and we're sort of like, well, that I think is where we kind of, that's sort of a direction that we want to go in. And, mm-hmm. you know, listening to Pretty Pollu- uh, Pretty Pollution, the, the album we came out with afterwards, it's everything from, like, grease to drum and bass. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, we're doing, like, yeah. breakbeat shit in there. And, you know, in hindsight, some of it works and some of it doesn't. And But, you know, I think you got to keep in mind, too, is that at this time as well, we had decided uh, after another attempt at trying to do studio, studio recording that we were going to try and do this record ourselves in in my apartment <laughs> mm-hmm. using using a computer that was you know not a mac running the original logic before it got bought by apple <laughs> yeah so we clearly had presented ourselves a quite a large challenge to make an entire record that way and mm-hmm. uh you know trying to figure out how to record drums and and you know so there was a lot of there was like some a lot of programming but again, you know, I think like Demagogue, the two things that stand out on that record for me, um, mm-hmm. having sort of that that sort of uh, confidence of ignorance that we had, I think, at the time, <laughs> the two things yeah. that I think really stand out for me are, are again, the, the lyrics Gareth came up with for every song, because fuck, they're so good. Like, and the, I, I, I could listen to Gareth, you know, recite a tongue in cheek version of the phone book and it would give me a heart on. And, uh, number two, yeah, but you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awkward. But yeah, number two was, uh, yeah, yeah. They still make phone books. You weirdo. Well, um, what? Yeah. That, that shit's all online. You idiot. Um, no, but yeah, the, <laughs> dummy. The other thing is probably again, the, the, the guitar tones, we were getting. I don't yeah. think there's anything, there's nothing like production wise. And because I think if there was going to be a failing anywhere, it would probably be on the production. It's my first, my own first production attempt. And there's yeah. probably a few spots where I missed, but I don't think anywhere on the guitar I missed it. And I think a lot of that is due to the, oops, I dropped a CD. Uh, due due uh, to the fact <laughs> that, that Rob just, he had, you know, he had the sound dialed in. The sound was dialed in, it was ready to go, and he's tight as shit, and mm-hmm. it was easy to get a take out of him, and it sounded great every single time. Hey, man, I didn't have to do shit. It just sounded good. So everything else around it might have been you know, falling apart in spots, but that was like always consistent yeah. for me. And th- again, this is a lot of hindsight here, um, but I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, those are the two things that I think are the big wins on that record for me. And yeah, I, I think it sounds fucking great. My, my Actually, I discovered, I think my favorite track on that album is Call the Man.
Second song, and it is probably the most guitar heavy. It's weird. Mm-hmm. All of the songs that we used to play that used to get me really excited, like Heavy A and Hey Hey, uh, kind of leave me a little cold. They sound a little dated <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. And I think where things really excel are the things that maybe we should have paid a little more attention to, like Call the Man. It was It's such a strong song, strong lyrically, strong performance-wise, strong guitars, even the keyboards sound good, like everything. I think that one, that is the one song on that album where I think everything is nice and cohesive, mix-wise, mm-hmm. produ- production-wise, performance-wise. It's all really good. I should probably mention, actually, that we've posted these albums on our website. Yeah. <laughs> And yet they're on the website. I, I believe you've set them up that if people want to yoink them and shove them into their portable listening device, they can do that. So yep. it's free. These are free. These are freebies, kids. You don't have to sign up for anything and get spammy, spammy emails from us. You just take them and listen to them. And if you hate them, delete them. It's okay. That's it's right. a digital file. <laughs> well, and, and also, too, for the listener, anyone that's not, I mean, obviously Rob is on board with what's going on here and he knows the whole story, but. At the time, too, what had happened was we had tried to do a recording Mm. uh, with our buddy Fletch at his place. He had a little studio, like one of the early home studios. He basically had a couple of DA88s hooked up sort of via ADAT. Yeah. And we were tracking at his place. And I know that Gareth was unhappy with it because it started leaning a bit rock because Fletch is a heavy rock guy, right? He was more of a rock metal dude, which is fine, right? Yeah. But I know that Gareth wanted to stay away from that. And I think shortly after those sessions, I had left the band. Jim came back because that apparently to be a North Star Jack, it's just a revolving door for the drummer. It's like, it's your turn. You're in. Oh, there you go. Hey, so Jim, Jim was the day shift and you were the night shift because Jim would never there show you up go. for the there games, you go. Yeah. But you would. You would. That's it. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. So. You guys, so you guys had decided that that you scrap that. There's there are versions of that stuff which I'm going to try to find. I know Rob had the entire sort of rough mix of what we were doing at that time. Yeah. Hopefully, I can find it somewhere because it'd be fun to put that up too and say, look, look at these songs. Like this song turned into this, and this song turned into that. You know, like the difference in Fletch's production versus the Adam Percy Meat Grinder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the um, what was interesting was that. Uh, again, for the listeners, that that we pretty much had an album almost done, and then went nah, yeah, that was that wasn't right. And then <laughs> you would you bought a sampler, and that changed everything. All of us, I, I think, some of the stuff that you might not really think has translated well twenty years later might be stuff that's a little gear centric. And yeah. I've always found that in music that if 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 a song is based around a specific piece of equipment, 
it may not have longevity. You know, I think what we were, I think what we were trying to do in, in the sampler I got mm-hmm. actually, interestingly enough, which I still have, uh, was it was called the Yamaha SU seven hundred, and it was it was interesting because it wasn't just a keyboard sampler; it was actually a a phrase sampler, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like what people do now today with Ableton, where you just you have a you have a loop. And, but it's, it's more, it's laid out like a drum machine. It's not laid out like a, um, mm-hmm. like, like a keyboard, uh, a keyboard sampler. So it, it had a built-in sequencer. And so you could do these sort of like sample layers, more like a DJ as opposed to a keyboard player. So it wasn't about making yeah. nice piano sounds. It was making about, it was about making weird loops and, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, there, there's a few instances on on Pretty Pollution where I think it works, and actually on uh, the the song, another kind of favorite of mine, which is maybe a little bit more, um, maybe a little more Jesus Jones uh, influence to a certain degree, is a song called uh, "Face to Forget." And the SAU 700 had this tempo knob, and it actually would do real-time time compression and expansion. So I could slow the tempo of the drum sample down without the pitch changing and do it in nice. real time. So it goes... Like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it kind of lends itself to this sort of trip-out effect that we were kind of going for at the time. But then there's... I mentioned um, Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. I actually think the version of Peter Pan on Demagogue is now better. Uh, the way we used to play it before where it was a little rocky. I think we went a little bit crazy on the drum machine technology side of things <laughs> with the version on the the full album Pretty Pollution. It it it, it doesn't it it just doesn't hold up the same way for me anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think we could have done better with it. I, you know, I think, I think we were just desperate. We were really desperate to go somewhere else, try something different. I get that, um, and I, I get that. I mean, you gotta, you gotta sort of every now and then you gotta shake the snow globe, right? Yeah. And I, and in the case of of um, of Peter Pan, I know there's the original with Jim on drums. There was the recording that uh, was recorded along with Oblivion. I remember Gareth playing for me and saying how much he preferred the way I played it, which is really nice of him to say. Yeah, good old Gareth. Um, because he said it feels like a train. A train has just come in and started to move the song. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. All right, so I'm doing something right. I like this. And then the idea that taking that idea and, you know, like turning it into a 
sort of a, a breakbeat uh, kind of thing. You got to try stuff, man. I mean, like you talked about the Jesus Jones, you know, right here, right now. That song is a good enough song that you could probably hand it to Carly Simon and have her sing it, you know? Yeah. And, but not do, you know, it would probably be something a little folkier. Uh, and but it would s- still sound good and hold up. Yeah, it's it ho- it would hold up as a song without the loops. And, yeah, yeah, totally. But again, like, but like the stuff that Rob did on both of those records is just it's it's different. It's he's not your he's not the guitar hero, which I was really happy about when I joined the band. You know, it's because usually, like I said, it's always some guy. You know, like, and you're like, okay. Yeah, but that's is that what makes him is that what makes him the hero because he's choosing not it's like exactly you know, the best leaders are the ones who opt out of leading. Well, I you know, yeah. I actually argue like I was saying about like the 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 those chorus notes in the live mm-hmm. recording of Oblivion like when that guitar comes in you really feel it and it he's I don't think he's he's not doing anything technically magical there. It's just done well it sounds great it has force it has power i remember even playing that live and just sort of getting like that excitement didn't hear it there's the guitar chord and it's like then you you get a little bit of goose goose flesh at the time it's a bit more it's a bit more pete townsend it's more pete townsend it's you know like it's the power of the chord and it's the power of the chord with you know with the right tone of the amp and the right pedal and the right everything everything is just right <laughs> and that's all that matters timing is everything and he shows that in timing like again the he i loved how he was bridging with you and that's something i know that i wanted to try to do and i kind of messed it up when i first started messing around like i wanted to bring in simmons drums because i wanted to do i wanted to stay sort of in the back, you know, as far as like retro in a way before people said retro was cool. Yeah. But I wanted to make, I wanted to make noises that were not your typical drum machine noises, you know? And then I, you know, so I messed it up. I did, I think we did one show at Lee's Palace where I had the full on Simmons and everyone was pretty, everyone was pretty upset with me after that. So (laughs) it was, we had a little talking with the drummer about that. We talked about it. (laughs) And then, uh, and then I remember we were fooling around with Body Love at one mm. point. And it's a, that's a very spacey song that Rob's playing super spacey. Again, if Gareth is just by himself with a guitar, it's very, it's folk. It's folk rock, right? But Rob is, you know, doing the spacey stuff. And I remember at one point I was fiddling with the Simmons pads and I managed to make one of them sound sort of like an 808. So I went, you know, mm-hmm. and then that that little snappy rap, like the the snare sound that was really prominent in rap in the '90s, which was, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember just playing because I was trying to find a drum beat. And I'm like, what am I going to fucking play in this? It's just ethereal and spacey, and it's like, you know, oh okay, boom boom pop, doom doom pop, doom. No, no, that's not the right drum beat. No. no, not at all. You know. So I remember just playing on the pads. Doom, And I just, I, it, all of a sudden, it was like, I felt like I was part of what I wanted to be part of, which was the, you know, that I'm, you guys are, are bridging together and I'm slightly bridging with you as well. So it's sort of like we're all, you know what I mean? It's, it, it felt more, it felt more like we were all pulling this, this, this sort of pulling the same wagon with, and we're all the same horses, you know? Yeah. And, and I just remember that started to work and then you got the, the sampler. So you programmed that drum beat. And then again, so the, the thing for me was, okay, now what do I play? 
because now Adam's yeah. playing what I was playing before. So I started playing just a little thing with brushes on it with the snares off afterwards. And actually, in the recording, I think we even tried to emulate that a bit. But I remember that distinctly, yeah, because it was really nice. You do these sort of like, almost like, um, yeah, like, like nice, just, but they were, again, like really tasteful. I think you'd throw like little grace notes in with your kick drum, like mm-hmm. just things that kind of like moved the beat along and made it sort of. It kind of reminded me there's this song on uh, Depeche Mode's Violator called Sweetest Perfection. It sort of starts mm-hmm. with this almost like kind of acoustic brush sample sound, but it had that kind mm-hmm. of like nice little rhythm to it that, yeah, it, it really nice. And, and that is, man, like listening back to that the other day, I was like, this is a really just beautiful song. Um, mm-hmm. We kept it simple. And I think that actually w- why it works. And, you know, talking about, guitar, you know, guitar rob is doing all these in the verse uh you know because i'm playing this sort of patty kind of sound and he's just hitting these like nice beautiful reverby delay kind of Mm -hmm. but it's that layer cake again we're layering things we're you know and then uh when the chorus comes in he's doing this slow strum almost like roy orbison you know but yeah. it's spacey. It's very Johnny Greenwood, very Radiohead. And, you know, My friend Paul Casey talked about seeing us one night and he talked to Rob after the show because something that Rob did that he liked that Rob did that he ended up stealing from Rob <laughs> was the, the idea of you turn you, you the guitar volume is down and you've you've struck the note and it's bent. Right, so it's not a C; it's a it's a sharpened or a, it's a sharpened C kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you slowly swell the volume up as you start to slowly release the bent note. Ah, oh. that was something that yeah, that was something Paul said. That was the coolest thing he'd seen. It's like this subtle little thing it was just like whoa, nobody's doing that now. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's guitar guys out there like oh fuck, I was doing that in 1976. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, Rob did it first. Well, it's funny thinking about that now. uh, Yeah. You know, one of the things that I do, and this is actually where analog synths are great. Analog synths in a lot of ways are uh, often slightly out of tune with each other. 
And mm-hmm. that might drive some people nuts, but in a way it's actually good when you're, especially when you're making very heavy, you know, synth heavy kind of songs, you almost kind of want them out of tune slightly, or, you know, oftentimes you're, you're, uh, using, uh, a, a synth sound that is kind of wobbly where, you know, the, the, the oscillator is kind of, mm-hmm. it's just slightly pitchy. But that is actually what gives that part definition. Uh, if you listen to actually yeah. a lot of like even classic, you know, 80s synthy kind of stuff, a lot of times the keyboards are doing these things that are slightly out of pitch. And it's interesting, you know, that mm. I think Rob maybe kind of picked up on that, that in a way you want to bend that note. That's actually what makes that note kind of stand out. It's, it's not totally out of tune. It's just mm. slightly out of tune, just a little it's bit. It's phasey. Yeah, it's almost phased. It's, yeah. yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah no. very cool. Very cool. Oh, Hey, I, you learn something new every day. I didn't, I didn't actually realize that. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to store that. Yeah. And it was, <clears throat> pardon me. When Paul told me this, uh, because we were talking about him having been at a couple of our shows, probably at Clinton's, you know, the mark of a good musician is that you sort of, you, you become a melting pot of everything else, of all of your influences. And Rob is definitely that his influences have all been sort of smooshed together to create him with his ideas on top of that so to hear paul say that about rob that that's the thing that he walked away with and said holy cow i have to nick that i gotta do that that's cool yeah just a little you know like like just the 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 slow swell and i mean guys have been using the volume knob on the guitar for years i mean the famous example is cathedral by van halen where eddie is rolling the volume knob and it sounds like uh it you know it doesn't sound like a guitar really and then you know mm-hmm. the hilarious thing about that take is that at the end of it the knob volume knob busts so you just hear the 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 last note ring because now that he's worn out the volume knob so <laughs> but 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 rob was doing stuff like that where he would volume swells again playing with the pedals but it was all about sculpting something and it wasn't about taking the keyboard player's position it wasn't about you know making the bass player go away it wasn't about you know, it wasn't about drowning out the singer either, or even just the, the, the strummed guitar that Gareth mm. was strumming, you know? It's definitely in that band. I think everyone had a pretty good idea of, like, where we all kind of sat. I, I, well, we may not have had a clear idea about it, but we, it just was sort of innately, we were already sort of thinking, well, this is sort of my place where I sit mm-hmm. in this song. Like, I don't think there was... Uh, amazingly actually there wasn't a whole lot of ego in that band oftentimes actually i don't think there's an instance on either record where anyone's walking over garris vocals Mm. for example yeah you know like we're all we're all pretty cohesive i think in that regard so again like maybe there's some you know production failings on some of it but i overall i think the songs themselves really speak such strong lyrics and and you know definitely i think mm-hmm. laying a good foundation in terms of like you know the, the 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 chord structure and the melody and the harmonies um we didn't even really need backup vocals in that band it all kind of just gelled really nicely um mm-hmm. it, i was <laughs> i was thinking about gigs like like what about um whatever that crazy fucking trip down to washington dc man like what (laughs) (laughs) that was that was 
like probably one of the weirdest little touring experiences I think I've ever had. And I've done a few, I've done a few tours and that was like, it was weird for me in the sense that I had to put stickers with serial numbers on all of my drums. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just so that we would, we were, cause we were worried, this is pre nine 11. So we were worried that if we came back into Canada, they would say, Oh, you bought all of this in the States and we're going to tax you on this. Yeah. And so there was that, but also I remember, so we're in the van, we're driving along, we get to Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> I remember I had said at one point, ah, oh, man, I'm bored back here. And you're like, yeah, me too. And you and I were, you know, we were, we were, in the, we were at the kids table in the back of the van, you and I, you know, there was like all the gear and everything else. And we're back there and, you know, Gareth is at the front of the van driving. I think Rob was with Gareth and Jason was in, uh, one of the seats in front of us, or it was Rob was actually right in the back. Um, oh, Rob was in the back. He was at the kids table too. It was Jason and, and Gareth up front and mom and dad seats. So, yeah. <laughs> and I remember at one point I said, we get to Pennsylvania and we didn't know. Right. So we get to Pennsylvania and I, and we stop at a gas station. I said, I'm going to pick up a six of beer. I, you know, I know it's illegal to drink in the back of a car moving vehicle, whatever, but <laughs> screw it. I'm going to do it. So I walk into the gas station. I'm like, where's your beer? And, you know, oh, you're from out of state. Yeah, I am. And he's like, oh, you go to these big giant beer distribution centers. And I said, a beer store? That's what you do? And I'm like, wow, okay, how Ontario. So <laughs> we fill up and we drive along and we end up finding one. And it's a drive-in fridge. I remember it's a this is a drive-through beer store. <laughs> But you drive into the refrigerator yes. in your car. Yeah. And I, I, and I just remember Gareth talks about this to this day because he thinks this is very funny. So, you know, nobody knows what kind of beer to drink. And I'm like, oh, I know. I've been down to the States a bunch of times recently. I'll, you know, so we pull in and I said, ask him for like a six or a 12 of Jenny Cream Ale. And the guy and then I hear Gareth go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. OK. They don't have 12s or 6s here. I'm like, well, what do they have? And Gareth says, they only have 36s. And I said, (laughs) how much is a 36? And the guy says, 14 bucks. And Gareth says, the guy hadn't finished saying 14 bucks when 15 US dollars was being pushed into his face by me. Here you go. (laughs) And then you, Rob, and I, you know, uh, enjoyed our, our frosty beverages the rest of the way to DC. This I remember you know? actually because I, I think uh, I think the people in front were slightly frowning and I don't know if it was because they just desperately wanted to have a beer too. But of course they did. They're <laughs> just super they jelly. Did. Super jelly. So you and I yes. were in the back like, you know, kind of cracking beers and shooting the shit and all I hear is like, I think, I think Rob in the back going like, hey, c- can I have one? <laughs> It's like, like yeah. sure, man, here you go. It's like, here you go. All, and then we get yeah. to Washington and, you know, cause it's a minivan. So, you know, it's got the sliding door and the door slides open and like 30 cans yeah. of beer fall out from the fucking side of the van. <laughs> yeah, it's well, just this yeah, <laughs> fast time at North Star Jack High. It was if, like, clink, 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 clink. If cops had yeah. been walking by, we would have been so fucked. Cause like, actually I, oh, yeah. I think we were, we were well on our way to being soused. <laughs> the oh, time we yeah. pulled I up think, to yeah. where we were staying. The good time was well underway. Let's just say that. Yeah. So. But that was a fun that, that was a fun gig. 
There was a yeah. there was a really fun gig. It, it, it was, was a good night. It was it was a very cool night. I mean, it was you, it's a long drive for one show. I mean, it was a ten hour ride. Yeah, you know, and it was longer coming home because we decided to take another way because we were using the early version of MapQuest where you had to yes. print stuff out because nobody had it on their phone. It was prohibitive. It was not going to happen. You didn't have that kind of screen on your phone. So, and of course, MapQuest was like, oh, do you want to go this way or do you want to go the shortest way? So you select the shortest way, and every time you come to a city, it, instead of using the highway bypass which would actually save you 20 minutes it's like well this is the more direct route and it runs you th- straight through the middle of a, some tiny town with 14 stoplights well so it, i think at yeah. one point that might have actually almost accidentally killed us in pennsylvania like there was that you remember the little <laughs> car accident that we almost had like where yeah the, i think it was some three-way stop that was really confusing and we went and then someone else was going and I just remember like being able to see the facial hair of the driver as they went by. <laughs> like it, I could see every freckle on his face while he's screaming in terror as we like almost collide with each other. It was like, that was intense. I, I think actually immediately after that, we bought the beer. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's because that's at that point, it's just like, well, if we're going to die, we might as well be drunk. <laughs> So <laughs> dying on the way to Washington. Yeah. There you go. Pretty there you much go. it. But uh yeah, no, that oh, was uh, that was a good time, man. Yeah, we had some good gigs with that band. We played the horseshoe pretty regularly and uh yeah. Oh, actually what was that? There was that was were they Swedish or Norwegian? Is that band Oh the, yeah, that Swedish band. They killed me. They were so good. Oh. At the at the horseshoe, yeah. Yeah, and then well not only that, they were really nice. I think at one point they asked us if we're available to tour. <laughs> I think we had to turn them down because like, well, because Gareth, Gareth had just become a new father at that point. So it was kind of like, you know, the the greatest thing in a relationship is like, okay, I'm finally a father. This is awesome. Gotta go. See ya. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, yeah. Mom, mom's already not sleeping. So, you know, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. And, and then do the usual dick dad move, which is like, don't worry, I'll be back to babysit. <laughs> it's not babysitting. It's your kid, you know? Exactly. So, no, but there was that. There was uh, a lot of fun times at the Horseshoe. We played Barrymore's up in uh, oh. Ottawa at one point as well. What was that band we opened um, for in Barrymore's? This is going to be like... A- the Dizzy Gods. The, the Dizzy, Dizzy Gods. gods. I remember yeah. going there and the, the drummer had a double kick drum and I think you just were like, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'd actually said, I said to the sound guy, do you want to want me to use that? And the, their drummer has said, no, man, no one uses my gear, man. I'm like, okay. No So out problem. comes my little, my little small premier kit uh, and out comes a couple of cymbals and sound guy's like, shit, I don't have a lot of mics. I'm just like, ah, put a couple of overheads and kick mic and a snare mic and don't worry about it. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> and that it was fine. It was a great show. We played there. We def- uh, I think we actually sounded better than them. Uh, <laughs> oh, we did. Yeah, like, we definitely did. I, I don't know. Hopefully the, one of the members isn't listening going, oh, fuck you guys. I'm not listening to your podcast anymore. You guys are stupid, man. You guys are stupid. There was a super fun gig. And, and I know Barrymore's is kind of in a bit of trouble right now. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, that, but that was an awesome venue to play. That was so, I think we it's had great room. such a great time there up in Ottawa. Yeah. That's a- it's a great, great room. I mean, a few years later, I remember going back. I, I was friendly with uh, with one of the bartenders, and she used to just tell me, give your name at the door and go in. You know, they'll let you in. And, you know, I would show up, and there's, like, some giant doorman there. I'm like, oh, hello, mister. My name is Tim. I'm here to see blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, 
yeah, going up, she's in the top bar. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Because, you know, sometimes people say, you know, come out to our, come out to our little event and whatever, and I'll put your name on the list. And then they forget. And then you show up and you're like, what, $75 to see, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) No. I can tell you, I think it it wasn't Blue Rodeo that I went to see. It was, I think it was the Sky Diggers that I saw that night. So, you know, a little nod to Jeff Heisholt. But he wasn't in the band at the time. So this was this would have been like ninety six. So right, this was pre. This was even pre North Star Jack. But even when I went back, I was still you know chummy with people at Barrymore. So you know, like it, you mentioned Blue Rodeo actually, and that was I think the only like one kind of like fight we ever had in the band. And it wasn't a fight. It was like, but um, I I had a bit of. I'm I, I'm I'm pissing everybody off on this episode probably. <laughs> I, I really had a, a, an extreme dislike for Blue Rodeo. And I realize in Canada that's kind of like saying, I hate the tragically hip. Um, it's enough to have someone want to come and, you know, kill you and your family and then burn your house to the ground and then pee on the ashes. But I, I've heard you say, I've heard you say that too. We had discussions in the band about blue rodeo and, uh, yeah, I, I admit I've kind of come around a little bit more with blue rodeo. A lot of, a lot of my grievances with blue rodeo, actually, I don't think really had a whole lot to do with blue rodeo as, uh, their music or them Mm -hmm. necessarily as a band. I do distinctly remember kind of having a bit of a chip on my shoulder over what industry wanted in terms of sound from musicians in Mm -hmm. Canada. Um, it, the industry was extremely narrow minded in terms of what they wanted that Canadiana rock sound with a little bit of country Mm -hmm. and blue rodeo for me at the time just simply personified that. And it, pissed me off and I <laughs> and I irrationally blamed Blue Rodeo for this so I can give you an example actually so Acid Test uh, back in the 90s before you joined him uh, we went over mm-hmm. to the UK uh, as a re- representing uh, Canada Canadian musicians to play a, a, a festival called the In the City Music Festival in Manchester and uh, so there were four bands selected. That was Acid Test, Technicolor Raincoats. Uh, so Sean Bowering, the guy who owns the Garrison, he was the lead singer of Technicolor Raincoats. Another band called Rail Tech, and another band that you all probably know called Sloan. Um, hmm. So these four bands get sh- you know the the you know we get uh, a grant to go over, and we get shipped over to the UK, and we have the show big showcase in Manchester, which nobody showed up for. Um, but, you know, there was, um, there was this, uh, it was a, a meet and greet before the show during the day at this hotel in Manchester. And it was, you know, headed by the Canadian record industry. And I remember even Sean mm-hmm. Bowering being, you know, Sean of Technicolor Raincoats being pissed off about this. Um, they had a TV set up with a VCR and what are they playing? They're playing videos of fucking Blue Rodeo and the Tragically <laughs> Hip. And we're like, hey, we have videos too. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're bands. Like, you paid for us to come here. Why are you playing Blue Rodeo? And at one point, Sean Bowering went to his room, got a video cassette of his latest video, came down, ejected Blue Rodeo, and put Technicolor Raincoats in. And someone immediately within a minute came over and ejected that and put Blue Rodeo back on again. And it was like, that, I I kind of feel like I guess I have to explain myself now, but that's kind of where I got my irrational dislike of Blue Rodeo 
which I don't have anymore. <laughs> I've 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 found I've found the truth in myself. It's not Blue Rodeo's fault. So Rob, you were right, buddy. Uh, it's it's not it's not fair to blame Blue Rodeo for other people's expectations, i.e. the Canadian music industry's expectations of what people should sound like. But that's why I was pissed off because, hey man, like I'm a musician like anybody else, and if you're gonna fucking spend twenty thousand dollars to ship four bands overseas to fucking showcase Canada, well, you should showcase them. <laughs> Don't, well, yeah. Don't and, showcase you know, other bands. We're not Blue Rodeo. We sound nothing like Blue Rodeo. So fuck off. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at least you're not angry about all of this. That's the thing. That's what I'm taking away from this conversation is that you're no longer angry about any of this. He said. He said, swinging a stick at the hornet's nest. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, so but no. Oh, that hornet's nest. It's a pinata filled with candy. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, no. Well, I know that 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 was a big scene at that time, though, because I do remember in say eighty seven, eighty eight, um, a band I was in, the Drowning Saharas, with John Greenberg and Andy Hober and Adam Highland, that our sound changed from a heavier rock sound to something a little. It's uh, it, we changed the sound was changed uh, in the band after we had listened to REM. So again, sort of again, again, REM at the time had a bit of a country influence as well. Yeah, I mean they are from the southern states. They are from Georgia. So um, we were influenced by that. I know that Blue Rodeo was very influenced by country as well at the time, and they were they were on the scene at the same time as us. Um, the Sky Diggers again, country vibe. Um, a lot of the bands that actually were were actually being played a lot on FM radio at the time, Canadian bands. Aside from you know the usual Tom Cochran's and Loverboys that had been on the radio for ten years already. Yeah. Um, there. Uh, this is what was the new wave. It was sort of a country. A country wave, uh, but not in country like Shania Twain country, which Shania went on to be to become huge. But yeah, and it was very sort of you know like I, the thing is, I think by the time that that incident in Manchester happened, it, it, that had been going on already for ten years, and mm-hmm. you know again like we were different, and it just sort of seemed like kind of like a slap in the face. To take you to take your analogy, I think it's more like. Um, it's 1971 and Led Zeppelin is doing a showcase to see, you know, oh, this is what British bands are like. And then they keep putting in VHS tapes of the Beatles. She loves you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, totally. And it's like, well, wait a, you know, wait a second. Hang on. You know, that's cool, too. But yeah, this is different. You now, asked. So. Yeah. You asked us to be here. So we're representing. So why are you not like that? Yeah. So exactly. again, and that's yeah. that, I'll be clear, Rob, that's not Blue Rodeo's fault. It, uh, I've, I've kind of come around to see the light on Blue Rodeo. I actually think they're pretty like awesome songwriters. I actually got to see them live uh, at... Uh, they're great live. Yeah, I, I got to see them at uh, the Grey Cup in Calgary a few years ago when the Montreal Alouettes actually beat Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And they they were the halftime show. They were fucking amazing. Um, so, yeah. yes, I've, yeah. I've come around to Blue Rodeo. I don't hate Blue Rodeo. I'm really sorry if I hurt people's feelings <laughs> five minutes ago when we started this conversation. <laughs> um, so Jim Cuddy is coming to your house. He's going to kick your ass. Jim Cuddy's coming to my house with a shotgun and a baseball bat and a pair of pliers. And he's gonna come. You brought you probably you, you had it coming, dude. You earned it. You earned it. So. Yeah, I you know, I'll admit that that is an argument that I lost and I probably lost it 20 years ago, but. I'm just coming around to that now. So, cause I'm a grouchy fucker. So yeah, 
<laughs> you a grouchy fucker? No. Well, but that's a that's again. Rob has sculpted some of that into his guitar playing. That you know the way that Jim Cuddy and Greg Keeler play guitar. That he's sculpted in the idea of the lead can be three notes and three amazing notes that are very melodic mm-hmm. that that you might actually end up singing at some point because it just sounds so good, yeah. you know, as opposed to the the lickety split stuff where it's like, okay, I'm playing so fast the fretboard's catching fire now, but you know, but it's still unmusical, do you know? Yeah. So. I, Rob, I, a lot of the stuff that he did, a lot of his influences, I can hear it. And I, it makes sense that, you know, on one hand, he's listening to Blur. Woohoo! You know? Yeah. And then on the other hand, that, that you know, don't tell me I'm wrong. You know, yeah, okay, so Tim's a bad singer. But, uh, you know, suddenly all the, like the, the sensitive um, Blue Rodeo stuff, it makes sense that he's got this wide spectrum. He isn't just narrowly focused on... This is the the guitar player's role, and this is what he does. Right. And I think he might he might have been the secret ingredient uh, in North Star Jack. I mean, despite all of Adam Percy's personal brilliance, uh, I think that maybe Rob was the difference. As, as speaking as Adam Percy, I think I was given far more credit than I deserved. <laughs> oh, there you go. I, 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 well, I gave you no credit at all, so there you go. Thanks but, a lot. But no. Man. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a jerk. No, but, but I think like with Rob was the difference because again it could have been this is Oasis with a keyboard player or mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally uh, like so many bands back in the day they they've got a keyboard player and all he's going to do is go and play pads yeah you know and maybe he gets that you know and then eventually we get to the sensitive song you know. Uh, where he has to play piano. It's like, gling, 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 I'm so sad, you know? But other than that, there's, you know, the guitar player is playing loudly and he's drowning out the rhythm player and that's it, that's all. But I think that Rob was the secret ingredient in that in that uh, that quintet because with Jim, with me, it's it's Rob that made the difference, I think. You know, sure, there's a yeah. difference in the drum styles, but, but the way the songs are performed that you don't have uh, Ingwe Melmstein playing guitar throughout these, you know, sort of folk rock songs that Gareth has written. Even though Gareth might say, no, 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 that's not the way I wrote them. You could take his songs and acoustic guitar and voice and they would still hold up. So to me, that's a folk pop song that you start from that bass. Yeah. But Rob, I think Rob was the Rob was definitely he was the the secret ingredient in all of that that made it uh, that made it a little tastier. He was the he was the spice in the, in the pumpkin pie that makes it not taste like pumpkin. Well, you know? he's again consistently on the records. He's he's the one. His is the sound that I think consistently sounds good no matter the track. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gareth even would probably say, oh my God, like my vocals on this one track, I I wish I, you know, I had a genie to take that back. <laughs> you yeah. know, Gareth, I know, has always been really critical of his own vocal performances, like a lot of singers, yes. and that's fair. Um, and definitely, I think in my, looking back on like some of the things I was doing, as again, it's Andrew Weatherall confidence of, ignorance thing and sometimes my the ignorance of my ideas worked and sometimes they I just don't think they did there's there's a few things for example like the um that whole sort of like oh we're gonna start the song with the sample drum loop and then the real Mm -hmm. drums come in thing that's like that immediately dates us sometimes to like early nobody did that it's a brand new idea (laughs) is this third eye blind (laughs) is this third eye blind I think this is third eye blind (laughs) no 
no, no, that doesn't work anymore. Overdone. It's like lens flare and Photoshop. Everybody did it, but, um, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the definitely like the, you know, I don't think there's anything on either of those records that, you know, guitar wise, like they're perfect. No, Uh, it's the one thing I listen to and I go, these are awesome. This is all really, really good stuff. So, well, to our loyal listener, one of the reasons why we're waxing poetic about Rob today is, first of all, Rob was an early adopter of audible brutality. He was one of the first guys to send us messages. He was one of the first guys to say, great episode, keep going. Yeah. You know, he he was essentially, I can't say it any better. He was an early adopter. He was on board. He was, you know, he loved the Adam and Tim show. And he was, you know, he, we didn't even have to tell him. He found it, you know, like. Sometimes you you know how it is. You got a band, and you got to tell you tell your friends, "Hey, I'm in this new band." And they're like, "Oh yeah, how long has it been?" Oh, four years. I've been in this band. <laughs> you know, and like, oh yeah. Do you guys record anything? We're on our third record right now. You know, how did you miss all of this, Dad? You know, or whatever, right? But. Rob found us right away without us, you know, beating any of our friends over the head with like, we have a podcast, please make us feel special. You know, so we wanted to send out a thank you that, you know, I guess technically our loyal listener is Rob. Yep. And also to um, Rob's not feeling well these days. So we wanted, we wanted to pump up his spirits a bit. We wanted to pump his tires up. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to talk about how great Rob is. Because he is. That's it. That's it. He's he because he's great. We love the work that he did with us. Um, Sadly, North Star Jack was only around for about two to three years. I wonder what would have happened if we had actually sort of started to break or do something, you know, wonder what direction it would have gone. Hmm. But I was fascinated by Rob's playing. Uh, Rob's a super great guy. Uh, his trademark orange Atari shirt. Yeah, like, I mean nobody else can. I remember getting one, and I just remember at some point someone saying, "Who do you think you are, Rob?" I'm like, "Fuck, I guess I can't wear this to <laughs> rehearsal anymore." You know, because I thought it was cool. I'm like, "Whoa!" It was either the Atari shirt or, or 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 Liverpool, the Liverpool jersey, yeah. football jersey. Yeah, which I'm sure he's probably wearing one of the twenty Liverpool football jerseys he has right now. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there you go. So, yeah, no, Rob, this is, you know, this episode is for Rob. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being a listener. We really wanted to make an episode where we could try and talk to you, man, because. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, you know, we haven't been able to see Rob in a while. Uh, Adam decided he was going to run away from Ontario. Wait, so did I. Hold on. Hang on. Hang on. There's a trend I can't blame here. Adam for that. <laughs> it's a trend. Wait a minute. That's not how that meme goes. It's a trend. Um, <laughs> so we haven't been around. I know Rob had his store in Cambridge and he called, I think it was Galt Guitars. Galt Guitars. That's yes, right. Yes, yeah. And uh, so we haven't been around in a while and we haven't seen Rob in a while. And we just wanted to, to put out, put out the love to Rob about how important he is to us. And uh, you know, I, I would love to be able to pass another Jenny cream ale to Rob over the back seat right now. <laughs> you know, I'd I'd love to be able to do. We're that, doing so. that in our hearts right now. I'm I'm That's already it. half in the bag. <laughs> yeah, Adam. Adam usually before he starts these, he goes through like at least a fifth of wild turkey before he starts an episode. So, 
And I, I get it. You, you got to do that. But um, yeah, so this is all about Rob. Rob, we love you. We love you a lot. And thank you for everything that you've done for us. And thank you for being there for this little podcast when you didn't have to, because all you had to say was, ah, I didn't even like those guys when I was in the band with those two clowns. Jesus, <laughs> I'm not listening to that crappy podcast. But he did. And he, he told us what he liked. And, and, you know, so Rob, we like you and we love you. We love and you, buddy. We want to send all of our best to you, to Sam, and to your two munchkins that you have as well. Yeah, so, man. Big love coming from the Audible Brutality guys That's to right. the one and only Rob Swift. We're going to post a bunch of stuff online too. Like I said, if you want to hear the best parts of NSJ, i.e. the guitars. There you go. <laughs> they're going to be, it's online. It's on our website. It's for free. Download it. I actually, you know what, in hindsight, it's all pretty good and it's all super fun. And, uh, you know, I'm, I am actually pretty proud of all that stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm totally serious when I think actually, when I say that the, you know, definitely the guitars on both those records are the most magical bits. So go download it, go listen to it, listen to, you know, how, you know, utterly crazy we were 20 years ago. Uh, hopefully you can get a bit nostalgic with us as well. I'm going to post a bunch of pictures of us looking so young. Yes. So young. Ugh. We're fucking babies in these pictures. Oh, my God. We're fucking babies. Uh, <laughs> I used to be pretty once. You know, before no, before no, no, all no. the, you know, alcohol and cigarette abuse just caught up with us and <laughs> made us look because terrible. we're stupid because we're dumb we started drinking cigarettes and smoking alcohol no one told us <laughs> we, how to do it did it wrong god idiots. damn it idiots <laughs> but idiots uh, yeah no lots of yeah. cool live shots stuff of us at like places like clinton's in the horseshoe and uh just mm-hmm. you know i think we're gonna wax a little nostalgic there because uh yeah man those were fun times a lot of like actually there's pictures of guys like colin uh, who we interviewed a few episodes ago, uh, Colin, you know, would come out to our shows. Colin knows our buddy Rob really well. We're all good friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's going to be a bit of that. If, uh, if there's any other listeners out there who have things from that time, uh, photos, oh, yeah. I, I, I dare I say video, I doubt there's video out there. There's, again, this is pre-smartphone. So there is a video of our show at, um, at Lee's Palace. Shut the and front why, fucking door. Really? That's why I know. I don't know where it is. Uh, I know because Gareth played it for me because that was after, that was the Simmons debacle. So uh. that was where, that was where I was playing Simmons sounds that were very, you know, it's like I was playing in Van Halen in 86. You know? Right. And it didn't really fit with the vibe. So, because I remember him playing it for me. He said, see, you see what I mean? I'm like, oh God, yeah. Uh, I see what you mean. Okay. Oops. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. Sorry, I wrecked Adam the was show wrong about guy. Blue Rodeo, and Tim was wrong about Simmons. This is the confession. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's another way to use them. So you know it, that perhaps that wasn't the project. So uh, so if it, if there is someone out there who has the video, actually, I think we should post it. Simmons drums or no, I don't give a shit anymore. I think it should go. Yeah, up. yeah. no, no. Life's too short for me to be. Uh, too picky about what goes up online anymore. So if you have anything like that, let us know. Well, I want to post it. So please send yeah. anything from that. Uh, or if you know Rob, send us some stuff. Rob, man, you and Rob. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, if I think we should share it. It needs to go up. I think so too. All right. And there's a few, like, again, Adam talked about links. There will be links. Please click all of them. 
please click every single link that you see on our page. And uh, I think there's a donations link on there too. So I'd like, that's going to be going up at some point. So yes, get on that. Yeah. There's You'll get on be, that. Uh, and because uh, uh, yeah, Rob, Rob needs some backup. Needs backup. Yeah, he from needs a bit of help right now, and from people who care. So, and we care, and we want you to care too, because he's an awesome dude. We love you, Rob. Yeah, we, we love, love you buddy. very much. I hope this put a smile on your face. I hope it was nice to walk down memory lane. For those of you that didn't know, I you didn't know about NSJ and all this sort of these sort of affiliations Adam and I have had. Well, what have you been doing for the last twenty episodes? We've talked about it before. Uh, where have you been? Is this your first episode? Welcome to the twentieth episode. <laughs> Welcome to episode twenty, asshole. <laughs> there you go. But big love to Rob. Big love to Samantha. Big love to the kids. Um. This is this is for you, Robbie. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.